Everybody doing okay? Good? Good? <laughs> okay, since uh, last week was, was so um, heavy, I was going to open up with kind of a fun, fun story this week. So a couple months ago, um, ironically, right after I taught <laughs> Romans chapter 13, I got my first ticket in about 13 years. And so, um, yeah, so a couple people at the, at the nine clapped for that, and I'm like, you're happy I got a ticket? That's not, that doesn't seem very nice. But anyway, so I got a ticket and um, haven't, haven't gotten a ticket in a, in a really long time. And it's already embarrassing enough when you're a pastor and you're pulled over on the busiest road in your city. And so there I was, but got my ticket. And a couple of months later, you know, you have to wait for a while. And I went to traffic court, got there early because I am a good citizen and um, got there early. I was waiting to, to be let into the courtroom and the whole time, I'm like, God, please just let me get in here, get out, not see anyone that I know. And in the middle of that thought, a really nice woman who works at City Hall came up and she goes, hey, pastor, I just started coming to the church. I just started coming to the church. And she goes, I, I, I really, really love the church. And she goes, I was reluctant to come out here and say hi. And I said, because I'm here for a ticket. And she goes, yeah. And um, I was like, well, you know, it's okay. And and so she's in the middle of her talking to me, though, I hear someone on the other side of me go, Pastor, you got a ticket too? There's a woman from our church. And I said, oh, hey, Jenny, haven't, you know, good to see you. I haven't, haven't talked to you in a while. And I was talking to her, and I'm like, ah, it's only two. That's not too bad. Uh, there's only 10 people there, so 20%. Anyways, uh, going to the courtroom, bailiff comes out, judge comes out, and um, says, hey, you know, since there's not many people in here, just, just if you want to come up, just there's, you know, I'm not going to call on you. Just come up when you can, and we'll take care of it. So one guy went before me, and then I went second because I want to get the heck out of there. And I go up, and I'm standing in front of the judge, you know, like this, nice and straight and respectful, you know. And the bailiff is covering, she's covering her mouth because she's laughing at me. She's giggling because she knows who I am, right? And then I got a ticket, and she's, she's over there covering her mouth. So I'm starting to smirk and giggle too, and the judge is like, you know, blah, 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 talking to me, and I'm just kind of like, and I'm trying to be respectful, but I'm trying not to grin. But I'm like, so the bailiff is laughing at me right now. So uh, I think that's enough. And then it, my ticket gets thrown out, and, but I used to have to pay the court costs. So I go in the next room, and I walk up to the window, and the woman goes, Pastor, it'll be $117. <laughs> and I was like, that time it was, it was four people. So, and um, I was finally happy to get out of City Hall. So, and, and, now, every time I come to a stop sign, I say S-T-O-P. That's what my kids have taught me. And then I, then I turn, so S-T-O-P. Sometimes I say it twice. Anyways, all right, we're in the book of Nehemiah. <laughs> we just started this last week. This is a book in the Old Testament. It's sandwiched in between Ezra and Esther, if you have a Bible with you today. If you don't, everything will be available for you so you can follow along. But what this is, it's a story about a Jewish guy 2,500 years ago who was exiled, pulled out of his homeland, brought to what is modern-day Iraq, right? So he's from Israel, but he's brought to modern-day Iraq where Babylon was, and he ended up work, working for the Persian king, a guy named Artaxerxes. So what we read in chapter one is this guy, Nehemiah, lived in the lap of luxury. He worked for the king. He was a cupbearer, which is a pretty risky job, but he lived in close proximity to the king. He experienced a lot of luxurious things like the king experienced. He was actually friends and kind of a counselor to the king. So he lived a very comfortable life. But what we find out in chapter one is that Nehemiah had learned that his homeland, Israel, Jerusalem in, in particular, the capital, was in ruins. It was destroyed. 
So what we are confronted with in chapter one is Nehemiah, who lives in this very comfortable lifestyle, has to come to a crossroad. Do I stay here in comfort and just not make it my problem? Or do I leave the lap of luxury and my comfort and go do what God wants me to do and rebuild my hometown? And what we talked about last week is in one way or another, all of us come to that crossroad, that crossroad of do we pursue our comfort, what we want, our desires, right? Do we play it safe and kind of look out for ourselves, Or do we submit and relent to God and, and let him take us wherever he wants us to take us, right? Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's more difficult, which path are we going to follow? That's what we talked about last week. Simple stuff. This week, we're also gonna talk about very, very simple stuff. None of it is hard to, to understand today, but it is amazing how practical and applicable and simple it's going to be. I think you'll enjoy chapter two today. What our point is going to be today is this. You and I, right, everyone, we have to prepare on the front end for two reasons. The first one is there's going to be adversity that comes against us. Every single one of you will reach a point where, where we, will, we will face extreme adversity. So if we're not prepared on the front end, we're not gonna be able to handle that adversity very well. We will also be approached with opportunities, positive things, good things, and we need to be prepared for those things as well because if we're not in the proper place, if we don't kind of have our ducks in a row spiritually and in our lives, we cannot seize the opportunities that God may have for us in our life. So what we're gonna be talking today is basically about preparation. And we'll see that in chapter two of Nehemiah, okay? I think you'll enjoy this. So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything is in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you're watching from home, everything's down, down here somewhere. I think I'm getting that right. Somewhere in the bottom of your screen. Um, I never watch myself because it's repulsive to watch yourself. But anyways, um, you watch yourself and I'm like, my God, that shirt doesn't look good on me at all. So anyways, so uh, shouldn't have said that. But um, what am I getting at? App, we have an app. Everything's on that. And if you have a Bible, we're in the Old Testament. Book of Nehemiah, we'll do chapter two today. All right, so um, let's pray. Let's dive into this. How's the weather outside? I haven't been outside since seven o'clock this morning. Is the sun out? No. If it's not just feeling like you're in an oven, it's raining and thundering and scaring your seven pound multi poo to death. That's my life. So anyways, all right. <laughs> the most masculine dog, my dog. Charlotte is her name. So, all right. Lord Jesus... <laughs> Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for this church. God, I love this group. God, thank you for your word. I pray that your word, Lord, that it just, uh, that it really speaks to us today in a very practical way, God. Sometimes, Father, it's not about deep, hard to wrap your brain around stuff. God, sometimes we just need simple instructions on how to live. So we thank you for that today, God. Lord, we pray that you keep your hand not only on our church, but on every church in our city. Pray that you keep your hand on another our other uh, church plants, God, and all the counties that we're in. And um, Lord, we pray that everything we do today, not only does it sharpen us and, and help us, God, we pray that ultimately everything we do today, that it honors you, God. So we love you, we thank you, we praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back, we'll break it down, and we'll get through this relatively quick, okay? Here we go. During the month of Nisan, See, you didn't know Nisan was in the Bible. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, 
Why are you sad when you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens, and I'm gonna stop right there in mid-sentence, okay? So here's what's happening. In chapter one, it was in the winter time called the month of Chislev, which is like the end of the year. In the second chapter, we're in the month of Nisan, which is kind of the spring. So about four months have passed. So what has happened is ever since Nehemiah found out about his hometown being destroyed, he has been praying, he has been fasting, he is waiting for God to open up the door for him to have an opportunity to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. So in that time that he was praying and fasting, listen, I'm gonna say the same thing a lot of different ways today, and here's the first one. In the time that Nehemiah was, was praying and fasting and waiting on God, he wasn't just sitting around doing nothing. He was, he was making sure everything was in line for when that door opens up, he would be ready to go. So preparation. So the first lesson we learn, and we're gonna talk about it a lot today, is not only do we pray, God, open up a door, we have to prepare ourselves to walk through the door. We have to get everything in order to make sure that when the opportunity comes, we're ready to take that opportunity. That's what he did. And so for the first time since hearing about his homeland, he kind of shows his cards a little bit. He was never sad, he says, in front of the king before. Now there's a reason for that. It was dangerous to let your feelings be known if you were a cupbearer of the king. The cupbearer of the king not only tasted the food to make sure it wasn't poison for the king, they were kind of an encourager for the king. So if you walked around moping around or sad or angry or whatever, it put the king in a bad mood and that was a good way to get yourself killed. So he hid his emotions. So being transparent and lowering your guard in front of the king, not a good idea, but it reached a point to where Nehemiah felt like he could be vulnerable. He could be honest with the king. Now let's talk about vulnerability for a second. Vulnerability is a scary thing for us still. So Artaxerxes, the king, he noticed that Nehemiah was depressed. Some of your translations will not say sadness of heart. It will say depression. What is this depression you're going through? So not only was he sad, Nehemiah, he was also a little terrified that if I show this, I'm gonna get in trouble. But he let his guard down, he was honest, and he told the king what was on his mind. Now again, let's talk about us. Vulnerability and openness will, will eventually get your feelings hurt. I think Christians are called to be vulnerable. I think we're called to be open and honest about everything. But because people are people, vulnerability will eventually lead you to get hurt. I guarantee you. So here's what we do. Because as a Christian, we know we're to be open, honest, and vulnerable, but we also know that it's gonna hurt us sometimes. So what we do is we pray for God to give us strength in our vulnerability. We also pray for God to give us wisdom to find the right people to be vulnerable with. What I mean is, we're gonna talk like adults today, I think we should be vulnerable, but I don't recommend you just like walk into work one day and you're like, hey everyone, hey, struggling with porn. I'm doing it, right? Struggling with that. Um, don't do that. That's a, that's a bad idea, right? Like no one's gonna wanna eat with you at lunch if you're not careful. 
So what I do recommend is you do need to confess if you're struggling with something like pornography or whatever the struggle may be. But I recommend you find two or three people that are God-fearing, good people that you can trust, pull them aside and said, I've been struggling with this. Like, I need to confess that, right? If you weren't here last week, I confessed my struggle to thousands of people. But before I did that, I pulled my elders aside and I pulled some people that I really trust. I'm like, guys, I'm struggling with just wanting to be lazy and not be responsible. And I don't wanna be a pastor anymore. And I had to confess those things. And then good people will build you up. They'll pray with you. They'll walk with you. They'll kind of help you snap out of it. But we need to be vulnerable, but we need to be wise as well. So Nehemiah knew who he was speaking to. He was speaking to the king. So he addressed the king in the proper manner. May the king live forever. Nehemiah was also smart enough and wise enough to know that if he wanted something done, approaching the person in authority with respect was the best way to get his plan accomplished. So let's just say, for instance, someone gets a ticket and they go to traffic court. Let's just use that as, a, as an analogy. Let's say that happens to one of us, right? <laughs> when I went the other day, I was the second person to go. The first person jumped up there real quick. Hey, whoever comes first, this guy bolted up to the front, brought his girlfriend, which I didn't think was the best choice because she's yapping the whole time. And um, so he gets up there and he just keeps calling the judge, man. Well, man, this happened, man, and I was running late, man, and it was a school zone, man, that's for real. And but, but man, this is man, man. And I'm back there, and I'm like, call him sir, call him your honor, treat him with respect, and I bet you'll get a lot further with your case, right? This is kind of like growing up 101. If you're having a problem, address it with some respect and a good tone, and you'll probably build a bridge a lot quicker than coming at it aggressively and disrespectfully. So Nehemiah knew this. So Artaxerxes asked Nehemiah, he said, okay, so, so what do you want? What's your request? Now, this is very, very important. Before Nehemiah gave his request, it said he took the time to pray to the God of the heavens for a wise answer. Let me show you two scriptures pertaining to this. Jesus said this. Jesus was talking to his disciples and they were worried when they were sent out to go share the gospel. They were, they were worried about adversity and they were worried about accomplishing everything God wanted to, to accomplish. Jesus said this, don't worry about how you're gonna defend yourselves or what you should say because the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. What that means is if we prepare on the front end, we have a relationship with Jesus, God, when the time comes, when tough conversations come, give me the words, give me the wisdom. If we will prepare on the front end, when these times happen, we're gonna be okay. Because here's the thing, guys, going back to your work environment. If you're at work and a tough situation happens, but you don't have a prayer life, you're not gonna have the luxury at your job to go, boss, hold on a second. Jesus, you know, and like get it out real quick. You don't have time to do that. And then listen, hold on, boss. Listen for God to give me the words. If you pray on the front end, when that confrontation happens, God will give you the wise words because you've prepared already. That's what Jesus said, right? Pray about it now. When the adversity comes, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. Here's some of the best advice in the entire Bible. We have not learned this advice in the United States of America. James said, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. In our culture, it's just say everything and then spend a lifetime cleaning up the damage you've done with your mouth. 
And so the Bible says, don't do it like that. Listen, learn a little bit, listen to God, listen to what other people saying and be slow to have a response, right? Be slow to do that. Some good, good information right there. So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. The king granted my requests for the gracious hand of God was on me. I went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates. I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. So the plot thickens. So here's the thing. King Artaxerxes, that's Nehemiah's boss, had shut down previous plans of building back Jerusalem. So he was known for shutting that down. So for Nehemiah to go to the guy who had shut down any rebuilding processes before and say, hey, can I rebuild it? That's pretty gutsy. It's pretty bold. You'll notice when he approaches King Artaxerxes, he makes it very personal. He had a relationship with the king and Nehemiah was a smart man. He said, it's my ancestors. It's my hometown. Can I go do this? He made it a very personal thing, knowing that that again would get him a little bit further in the conversation. So what probably happened is King Artaxerxes, his wife and Nehemiah went to a separate room and they had this discussion. So history tells you that Artaxerxes was a man that was heavily influenced by his wife. I put Smart men should include their wives in the conversation, right? Because they see things a lot clearer than men a lot of times. And so the king knew this, brought his wife into the conversation. They talked about the details of Nehemiah going and when he would return. And if you notice, they brought him in and they said, what's your request? Nehemiah knew exactly what he wanted. So what we learned there is he had been thinking about this for a long time. Second time I'm saying it. He had prepared beforehand. He had all of his ducks in a row. So instantly he says, I wanna do this, I need this. Here's the timeline, here's all the things I'll need. He knew exactly. So right when God opened the door, Nehemiah was ready to walk through. What that means for you and I, practically speaking, is in this life, we have to be prepared. How do we prepare? Simple, we prepare, prepare through prayer, through reading the word of God, through listening to God, and we do this on the front end. So when opportunities come our way, let me give you a really good kind of churchy example. If you're in this room and you feel like God is calling you to do foreign missions, to go to a third world country, to leave this life, to go do that and pursue that, God has called you to do that, but you have $75,000 of debt, you can't do it. 
You're not in any position to leave all this because you have obligations to repay that debt before you can go do the work of the Lord. So for instance, a very practical way of looking at this is if we handle our finances in the way that the Bible tells us to handle our finances within our means, not being in chronic debt, making sure that we're paying our tithes and being faithful with our finances, right? That we can be in a position that when God calls us out, if he does, we can go. We can, we can bolt out and we can do all these things, right? So we have to be prepared on the front end, prayer, reading, listening, getting everything in order for when that door opens, we can go. So one of the things that that Nehemiah asks for is he says, I need letters. I need letters because though you're the king and you've given me permission, not everyone knows that. They didn't have like email or Snapchat back then. They didn't have that. Like, Like Artaxerxes couldn't like Snapchat all of his friends and be like, hey, Nehemiah's coming through, don't bother him, right? They didn't have access to those things. And so they gave him letters. And when he goes through the different areas to keep, keep himself safe, he would give these letters from the king to the different governors of the regions. So not only did he ask for letters, Nehemiah goes, oh yeah, and by the way, can you call your lumber guy and tell him to give me all the lumber to rebuild the whole city? Right? Nowadays, that, that'd be a really bold thing to ask because lumber's like gold now, right? But so Nehemiah goes, yeah, I also need your lumber guy. And if he can hook me up so I can rebuild the entire city, that, that'd be great. He gets that. Not only that, the king sends him security guards. Yeah, I'll give you the letters. I'll rebuild everything for free for you. And let me send you some bodyguards. So when Nehemiah wrote, the hand of God was on me, most definitely, everything was working out perfectly. So what we learn is this. Now listen, in John 14, 14, Jesus said, if you ask for anything in my name, you'll get it. That is grossly taken out of context, right? People are like, oh, Lord Jesus, in your name, replace that RAV4 with the 911 Porsche when I walk out to it. In Jesus' name, amen. And then it doesn't happen, and they're like, what the heck? That's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus meant is for whatever you pray for in my will, you will get it. What that means is this. If we seek the will of God and pray for the things that God wants us to have, we get those things every time. If you and your wife pray for a healthy marriage and that's what you want and you work towards that, God's gonna give it to you because that is the will of God, right? That's what God wants for the two of you. You're gonna get that. And so what we see is Nehemiah was following God's plan and it's no surprise that everything was opening up. Every single door, the path was clear and wide and everything was working out for Nehemiah, right? And that happens in our life as well. But of course we see that it's, that it's too easy, right? Because now the antagonists come in. Everything is going smoothly, listen to this, until he gets close to his destination. And several officials get word that someone's gonna go and start, start refortifying the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And it says they were greatly displeased. So here's another very, very important lesson we learn about following God. If you are in this room, listen, this is very important for our day and age. If you are in this room and you follow Jesus Christ and if you follow the principles and teachings of this book, there is an inescapable, which means there is no escaping it, it's going to happen to you. And there is a constant opposition from an enemy. That enemy is the devil. I hear a lot of people say, well, man, life was a little bit easier before I started following Jesus. Well, before you started following Jesus, you were lost and the devil didn't care. But now that you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you're an enemy of the the devil, of Satan. 
That's why we feel that pushback. That's why we feel those collisions. That's why we feel that friction because there is an epic battle of heaven and hell and we are a part of it. So we feel these things. If you are following the word of God, it is an inescapable and constant opposition that will come against you and I. So here's what's interesting though. The antagonism that Nehemiah was facing from from Sanballat and Tobiah They didn't know Nehemiah. They had never hung out with him, but they hated him. So that's interesting. So this hatred towards Nehemiah was greater than Nehemiah. It was a hatred for what Nehemiah stood for. It wasn't a hatred for him in particular. It was a hatred of what Nehemiah stood for. Now we also see this in the New Testament. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He looks at his followers, Jesus does, And he says, you guys are gonna be hated by some people. There are going to be people that hate your guts. But Jesus says, listen, when they hate you, know it's me that they actually hate. It's not you, it's me. It's because you associate yourself with Christ. That's why there will always be an illogical and unique hatred for you. It will always be there. And if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. As a pastor, it's it's really fun. I've gotten... Emails calling me really, really awful things that I can't say up here, telling me to go to hell and that's where I'm gonna go. And there's good Google reviews of me, like Corey's you know, a piece of dirt and excrement that I can't say here and other things on there. You can go back and read those, those are fun. So, so anyways, there is this unique hatred that is set aside for Christianity. And so you will experience that, I will experience that. The question is not if you will experience some kind of hatred about your faith, The question is, how will you and I respond to that hatred? Jesus assured his followers, he said, in this life there will be suffering. Not there might be, there will be. The question is, how will we respond to it? We'll get to that a little bit later, okay? Nehemiah says, after I arrived in Jerusalem, and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate towards the serpent's well, I wouldn't have been in that area, and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that it had been destroyed by fire. I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool But farther down, it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up by night by way of the valley and and inspected the wall. Then heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those that would be doing the work. So I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. They said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about this. They mocked and despised us and said, what is this you're doing? 
Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Some interesting stuff comes up here. So after Nehemiah had been in the area for about three days, he went out at night. He went out at night because he didn't want to get killed. He didn't want to get beat up. He didn't want to get robbed. There could have been physical danger. So he hadn't told anyone what he was doing. So he slips out and he wanted to inspect just how big of a a project he was about to be taking on. So he looks at the gates. He goes around the, 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 the wall of the city. And so all the gates, we'll get into this in the next chapter, all the gates are named after their function. The dung gate wasn't just like named by a bunch of 11-year-old boys. That's actually where you took your waste out, right? Your human waste, your animal waste, your trash. You took it out the dung gate. And then you had the fountain gate, which is where the drinking water came from, the fresh spring. Hopefully those things aren't like Murfreesboro and they put a trash dump right next to our our water supply. But um, shouldn't have said that. But anyways, so... um, Hopefully those two gates weren't next to each other. So he already knew what he had to do. He just wanted to see how big of a deal it was, okay? So this is a picture that Nehemiah took. Um, Sorry, it's so grainy. It was on an iPhone 1. It was a long time ago. (laughs) I'm just joking, guys. They didn't have cameras back then. It was 2,500 years ago. (laughs) This (laughs) This is an artist's rendition of what Jerusalem should have looked like. So before the walls were torn down, before the gates were destroyed. So this kind of gives you an idea. And over here on the right, this would have been a hill. So he would have uh, went out the valley gate. He would have went up this hill so he could kind of get a a bird's eye view of what he was gonna be working on, okay? So this just gives you a little idea of what he hoped to do, okay? So we're not sure after he did this the next day, we're not sure if he just called the leaders of Jerusalem or or everyone who lived in Jerusalem, We, we don't know. But he pulls them all together and he says, guys, we are in ruins. Our city is broken, it's fallen, it's messed up. Now listen, this is not just the wall. Everything, culture, the economy, uh, security, everything was broken. It was in ruins. Now here's what Nehemiah does, and I think this is something we can learn from today, right? It is very, very easy for anyone to identify what is wrong. We're a culture that is wonderful about pointing out how wrong everything is and how wrong everyone else is. Anyone can point out wrongs. It takes a leader with the Holy Spirit in them, right, to not only identify this as broken, but we have a plan. So here's the thing. We as Christians, right, in the United States, we, we say a lot recently, look how dark everything is. It's so dark. Everything is so dark and broken and dark and, and dark and broken, right? We say this all the time. And Jesus made it very, very clear that the followers of God are the light. So it makes absolutely no sense for us to step back and say how dark it is over there. It makes all the sense in the world for the light to penetrate the darkness, that it is not enough for us to just say that's bad, God's saying, well, what are you gonna do about it, church? What are you gonna do about it? So we can talk about how broken everyone is, but it is our job as the ambassadors of Christ, the salt and light of the earth, Jesus said, to go out and actually do something about the brokenness. So here's the thing, and I'm gonna get a little snarky because I've been really nice up to this point. 
There was a greater issue. The shambles of the city, think about your country right now, the shambles of the city not only reflected poorly on the leadership and everything, it reflected poorly on their religion. What that means is the people of God had to realize that their city and their country was in shambles because the people of God were not living like the people of God. Can I tell you something that really bothered me a couple of years ago? And I'm not trying to get political. I swear to God, I'm not. A couple of years ago, when all the rioting and division and brokenness and ugliness and everyone's this and everyone's that and casting awful things towards each other and saying bad things, I was really tired of hearing Christians say, well, at least our economy is really, really good. I'm gonna tell you something. There's more to a group of people than how much money is in the reserve and in your bank account. There are matters of honor and respect, and our nation lost it. Listen, our nation lost it a long time ago, and we can have all the prosperity in the universe, but if we're not a people of honor and respect, we have lost something great. And so Nehemiah was saying, we're in shambles. It's not just an economic problem. We have lost our dignity as people. We have lost our respect and honor as people and brothers and sisters in Christ, I am not about tearing apart the church, but because I'm speaking to us, we are in the church. I believe in edifying the church, but I'm gonna tell you, the world hasn't gone to hell in a handbasket in the last couple of years. This has been something in America that's been building for about four decades. For about four decades, we have seen a decline of Christianity and a decline of the church doing what they're supposed to do. We have been focused more in Christianity for the last 40 years or so about making celebrity pastors, celebrity musicians, and building gaudy monstrosity buildings that we as the church have not gone out and made disciples of Christ. And then we step back and go, man, it is really screwed up. And God's saying, who's responsible for that? You are the spirit-filled ambassadors of Jesus Christ, you and I. And if our city is broken and in ruins, the church needs to take some ownership for that. We are part of the problem. So we need to step back and be humbled by that. So again, because the people listened, look how important this is. Because the people listened, they were humble and they depended on God the Bible says that God strengthened them to do this good work. They're gonna go do it. So here's the thing. It is not enough for us to pray for the world. We should. It's not enough for us to pray. It's not enough for us to just read the Bible and know the principles. We have to take the principles and the teachings of Christ and we have to go live those in our work and in our homes and in our schools and in our neighborhoods. We have to live them out in our lives. That's the only way we're going to see results. That's why Jesus said, I didn't give you this light so just you could cover it up. No, 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 place it on a hill so the whole city can see the light. That's you, that's me. That we are to go out and apply these principles into every corner of our lives. And so, Everyone's on a high right now, right? They're gonna build back their city, right? They're getting back right with God. Yeah, everything's good. And then of course, right after this group of people decides they're gonna do the will of God, you know what happens, right? There's pushback. You have the antagonists over here, mocking them, making fun of them, threatening them because they despised the people of God. 
Now listen, I said earlier, we're going to get mocked. We're going to get threatened. We, we may get physically hurt, right? But the point is, is look at how Nehemiah responds. As they mocked him, made fun of him, threatened him, he didn't pick up a rock and throw it at him. He didn't get on social media and write some bad stuff about him. He didn't go gossip to his friends or slander their names around town. He didn't do any of that. He looked at them and he said, listen, if we're gonna be successful, it's because God allows us to be successful. We're gonna do what God wants us to do. He will be our success. It's not about us. I'm not gonna defend myself, but I will defend the God that I follow. He's gonna take care of us and everything's gonna be provided and we're gonna get the guidance we need. I'm gonna tell you what, this chapter pulls out so many practical things that we need to put into our life. The first one, I'm gonna go back to it again. I think this is now the fifth time that I've said this. If we are going to be ready for the trials that are going to be coming, we have got to pray, study, and listen to God. Listen, the only way to listen to God is you have to cut out all the other voices around you. That means that the TV may have to be turned off, may have to turn off the radio, may have to take out the earbuds, AirPods, whatever the heck they're called. I have some, I sleep with them in sometimes. Anyways, we have to remove these things so we can listen. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, I have taught the book of Revelation three times over the years. The last time I, thought I, I taught it was 2018. I taught the book of Revelation. Every time I teach the book of Revelation, I look at our church and I say, listen, the Bible tells us that one day extremely difficult times are coming from the church, for, for the church and we've gotta be ready We've gotta be ready. If we're gonna face persecution, if we're gonna face possibly even death in the United States for our faith, we better make sure we know what we believe. And everyone's like, right, 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 right. And then look what happens in the last year. Man, COVID in a bad election season. And we see churches drop off. Most churches in the United States aren't half of what they were before COVID. We're doing pretty well. We're at about 75%, but we're not what we were. Now, some of that is people don't wanna wear masks or people only wanna wear masks or you know, what are they trying to stay safe? That's some of that. A lot of it is a lot of people just flipping backslid. They got lazy, they got apathetic, the world got a little nuts and they're like, Neh. and they totally walked out of their relationship with God. See it all the time. I saw it so much during COVID. I'd bump into people somewhere and they're all startled. They're like, oh, hey, pastor, haven't been at church because of COVID. And I'm like, well, we're in a restaurant right now and you're not even wearing a mask. Like, really? Let's just, don't lie to me. You just found an excuse to not come to church. And so if that is going to drive people away from their relationship with God, my Lord, what if they start crucifying Christians out in the street? What are you gonna do then? What if you're gonna lose some friends on social media? Uh-oh, I'm not popular. Listen, you gotta be praying. You have to be reading this book. Do you know the Bible says that we should have an answer when people ask us about our faith? The only way to have an answer is you have to read the book. You have to read it. And we have to be patiently listening to God. And listen, in that preparation time when we're preparing, not only for the bad stuff, but we need to be preparing for the good stuff in our lives too right? We need to be preparing for that as well. So we need to make sure that we are vulnerable when we're praying to God. You know what's audacious and kind of silly? When we're not honest in our prayer time, because God already knows, right? So be honest with him. Man, if you're, if you're mad, there have been times, I'm not advocating you to yell at God or anything. There have been times I've looked up and I'm like, God, what the heck? 
I don't understand. Help me understand. I'm frustrated right now. I've had to do that. It's okay. God knows. Be honorable, be respectful, but be honest with God. Be vulnerable. I also recommend you have two or three people in your life that you can confess anything to them, that you can tell them anything you are struggling with or thinking about, that you have those people to help lift you up, pray for you, put you back on the right tracks. We have to prepare both for the bad and for the good. We must also pray for God to give us wisdom and discernment. The only gift of the Holy Spirit that the Bible talks about that you will always receive if you ask for it is the gift of wisdom. And the Bible says he'll give it to you in abundance. I recommend every single one of you, every single time you pray, God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. Give me discernment, the ability to know what to say, when to say it, what to do, what doors I should walk through and what doors I should avoid and stay away from. Ask for wisdom, ask for discernment. And again, the thing is not enough to just know the Bible. It's not even enough to know the truth about Jesus. James said all the devils in hell know the truth about Jesus, but they don't apply it. They don't live it out. Therefore, they're in hell. So we must not just know the things of the Bible. We must live the things of the Bible. James also said, don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Do these things. Live these things out. But I'm going to tell you this. If you choose to pursue the things of God, right? If you choose to prepare for the bad, prepare for the good, if you are following what the Lord wants you to do, there will always be pushback. Always, always. Because the Bible says we don't fight against physical things. We, fight against, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against evil spirits. We fight against hell, right? That's what we're fighting. It's not like the movies when Keanu Reeves has like a, a, a cross-shaped shotgun and he's shooting demons. It's not like that. It'd be fun for a minute, but that's not how it is. We fight evil through prayer, through the word of God, right? That's how we do it. But I'm gonna tell you, if you're in this room and, and you're not a Christian, I'm not gonna lie to you. Man, being a Christian, is, it's a war. It is hard. The Bible says it's like a fight. It's like a marathon. It's tough. It's good, but it's tough. So the question is not, will you face adversity? When Jesus said, in this life there will be suffering, he didn't say, in this life you might, you might have some suffering. Jesus said, in this life you're gonna suffer. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I'm gonna send you out like sheep among wolves to trample on serpents. <laughs> Sounds great, right? But that's what Jesus said. It's, it's gonna be a rough road. Some of you are gonna be beaten. I remember reading Matthew for the first time when he looked, or it was John, he looks at Peter and he says, you're, you're gonna die. You're gonna suffer for my name. He told the same thing to Paul. It's hard. It's not a question of if you're going to face it. It's a question of, how will you and I respond to adversity? Well, if someone pushes me, I'm gonna push back. Is that what the gospel tells you to do? Well, if someone takes from me, I'm gonna take from them. Jesus said, if they take your shoes, offer them your shirt too. That's crazy. It's, it's Jesus. Well, if they hit me, I'm gonna hit them back. Jesus says, if they hit your left cheek, just offer them your right. Go back into the Gospels and read about when Jesus was unfairly and unlawfully arrested. They pull him in front of all the, the Sanhedrin, which are the, the, the Jewish officials. They lied about him. They spat on him. They said awful things about him. They slapped him. 
Read what Jesus' response was when that happened. You know what it said? He said nothing. The only time he spoke was about the truth of his father, right? We say, but, oh, but I can't do it. I know it sounds counterculture, but it's what God wants us to do. How we respond makes the difference. Here's the last thing I just wanna ask you. And, and, and listen, it's real easy for us to say, yes, 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 I believe that. But I really want you to think about it for a second. Do you honestly believe, do we honestly believe that our success, when I say success, I don't mean that necessarily in monetary terms. Nothing against you making money, nothing against you getting degrees, nothing against you being successful in your job. I, I, those things are fine and good. But do we believe our success as a believer, our success as a human, do we fully believe that that is completely contingent on our relationship with Jesus? What I mean by that is this. If you're a wife in this room, the only way to respect and revere your husband the way you should is you have to have the Holy Spirit of God. You have to be dependent on Jesus to help you because a lot of times men aren't what they're supposed to be. The only way that us men in the room can love our wives like Christ loves the church, Ephesians chapter five, is by completely depending on Jesus to make us the husbands that we need to be. If you're raising kids in this room, the only way to raise God-fearing good kids, right, for them to grow up and live a life that honors God is we need help because we're gonna fall short. So we have to completely depend on Jesus for success in raising our children. If you're a student in the room, if you're a teacher in the room, if you're an employee or an employer, we have to understand if we consider ourselves to be Christians, that the Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from him. It's not because I'm good, it's because he's good. And what that means is everything in my life is contingent on my relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I can't do it. God, help me. Help me be the dad I need to be. Help me be the husband I need to be. Help me be the pastor, the boss, the whatever your lot in life is. Help me be that because I can't do it on my own. Do you believe, honestly, 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 that there is no success apart from Jesus, no real success? Do you believe that, that the only way that the path is going to be laid out, the only way you're gonna be able to walk it is by the gracious hand of God, Nehemiah says. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe it? Would you bow your heads with me? If you are in this room and maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you're not a Christian yet, but you got questions, uh, we love that. And up here on my right, your left, Pastor Isaac is up here. If you have any questions for Pastor Isaac, he, he would love to talk with you. If you have a, a long conversation, Isaac would love to get coffee with you. Loves to talk about theology and church and God. Any questions for him, please come up and, come up and talk to Isaac. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, it could be for you, your family, your relationships, your finances, your job situation. Maybe you have a lost loved one, anything. It doesn't matter. Come, get, let someone pray with you. And then the last thing is this. All the way around this room where we see a lamp on a table, there's communion, the body and blood of Jesus. We do this every single weekend. What we're gonna do today is, is if you have repented for your sin, if you wanna take the communion, you can get up, whichever station is nearest to you, get your communion. If you'll come back to your seat, Pastor Carl's gonna lead us in communion today, okay? But I wanna pray for you before you leave. Father, Lord, we love you.
Father, I, I pray for everyone in this room, God, that, that you grant us the gift of wisdom. Lord, we need wisdom. I pray, Lord, that you will create in us a, a desire to, to pray more, to read the word more, and to listen to you, God, so we can be prepared for the, for the bad and we can be prepared for the good things you have for us, God, that we can receive those things. God, direct us, protect the families in here, the marriages in here, the single people in here, the students in here, the, the business owners in here. God, whatever our lot in life is, God, make us successful the way you want us to be successful. Lord, be gracious with us, be merciful with us, God. Lead our path, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. Protect everyone in this room until, I meet, until we meet again, God. And we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you very much. You're welcome to help yourself.